Welcome to In Context and Culture, a podcast hosted by pastors Corey Majors and Trent Roseman, intended to clarify and comment on critical issues pertaining to theology, the Bible, and life in the church. Now, enjoy the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to the In Context and Culture podcast. This is episode six. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and partner in the gospel, Corey Majors. And today we have a surprise. We have invited a common friend of ours. Uh, His name is Brock Caldwell. He's the student associate pastor at First Baptist Church Rogers in Rogers, Arkansas. Brock, say something about yourself. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm glad that that you all have invited me on. Um, I'd like to think of myself probably as one of y'all's most avid listeners at this point (laughs) in your early podcast days. Um, And so... How many episodes have you listened to? uh, I I was going pretty strong there for a while. And then the COVID hit, and I've had to keep up with the Office Ladies podcast. So you guys got pushed back just a little bit. No, I've listened to at least like three. Two or three. Just for the record, just because somebody listens to a lot of our podcasts does not mean you will be a guest. Just want to get that out there. Although I did want to set be. that. I wanted to set that precedent. Yes. Yeah. Are you caught up with the Office Ladies podcast? I'm definitely behind on it. When it first started out, it it was a little rough to me because it was so scripted, you yes. know. But it sounds like it's gotten better. So. Yes. Um, yeah, it's good. the The stories, the behind the scenes stuff is funny, but sometimes you have to wade through a little bit of scripted banter. Hey, well, let's riff on this for a minute. Uh, I think we're all three Office fans. So favorite Office character and why? My favorite Office character would definitely be Jim Halpert um, because... Are you uh, aspiring Jim Halpert? I, I just feel like that's So kinda, predictable. Am I, am I aspiring to be Jim Halpert? Yeah, I think you have some of the same mannerisms. Well, when you asked me that question, I definitely looked off the camera and gave a little face. So I'll let that answer, <laughs> answer for myself. Um, I'm glad yeah, you helped no, us I, with that because this is a auditory listening medium. Yes, I, I will be describing all of the events going on in my upstairs bedroom and, and in my house in Kansas City. So just so that you guys know everything that's going. Okay, so did you tell us why, Jim? Oh, I had to say why. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I like him. I think he's a fun guy that to, to hang out with. Uh, I enjoy all of his pranks. Um, for me, he kept the show interesting. Dude, that's so predictable. I, I feel like, I don't know, mine's probably a tie between um, Michael and Dwight. Uh, just because Uh-oh. Dwight is that guy that does everything that your you know, conscience tells you not to do. Like, he's that guy that just says, I don't care, I'm doing this. And and Michael, he just is so awkward. And I love awkward situations uh, just to watch people's faces. And um, so I guess, I guess either one of those guys I could go with. So mine most likely is, I know this is odd, and I'm not trying to be like the hipster in the room, but I like Creed um, because you've got different characters all with different personalities, and the one that you – never at any point can predict is Creed. You never know what he's going to say. You never know what his character is going to bring to the table. Um, you kind of begin throughout the series to find out what Michael's going to say, even though he's a very interesting character. Same thing with Dwight. But Creed is just the oddball. Um, I never thought he would become manager for a moment when he did the acrostic of bow body. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> the whole cartwheel thing. Just, you know, I want to do a perfect cartwheel. 
it's just really funny to me. Probably my favorite Creed line is whenever someone does something unspeakable to Michael's office and Creed comes in and he goes, someone making soup? <laughs> One of my favorite lines is, uh, is he's like, if I can't scuba, then what's this all been for? <laughs> what's this all been for? <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? Um, so, yeah, he's, he's definitely a favorite of mine. Hey, well, um, of course, Brock, you and I both sat under Corey's leadership, and Corey both, you know, made an impact in both of our lives uh, early on. Corey's not a small man. That's right. Yeah. I almost crushed both of you while you were sitting under me. <laughs> so we were both under his leadership um, growing up and both ended up going into the ministry. Um, and, you know, a lot of what we learned was how, how we saw Corey love people, lead us to the Word. Um, but Corey definitely did some interesting things that are memorable. And you were mentioning mm-hmm. before we got started here uh, one of the retreats. So why don't you just set up just for a little bit the Make War retreat that he introduced to us. Yeah, so uh, it was kind of in the same time frame that Tadashi had just come out with that that uh, song called Make War and it had that little uh, Piper excerpt on it um, that talked about fighting, a sin, yeah, fighting sin. And, and so we created this camp around this idea of making war against the flesh and against sin. And it was actually a, a great concept. It was a great idea. Um, but then they, we, we kind of inserted these um, almost military-esque elements um, just to kind of give students this idea of like physical training. And there were these different challenges um, where we would have to like run in the middle of the night to different buildings on the campus. And then I'm pretty sure one time I completely kicked your foot out from under you and you ate it on a dirt road when we were racing because I knew you were faster than me. So I, I apologize for that. I still kind of <laughs> feel bad for that. Um, but then um, there was the hill. And Apo- so I, let me I just think, say the, uh, the apology is accepted, but the scar remains. Well, I, I would not be surprised <laughs> if there weren't scars. Um, or I would be surprised if there weren't scars. But, but then there was the hill, and I, I bet we all remember the hill. So can I set up a little bit of the hill real fast? I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of setup that went into the hill, but you well, can set up talking about the hill. Well, exactly. So when we got there, I mean, I just remember distinctly, when we got there, they'd, there had already been, we got there at night, there had already been different camp counselors or camp leaders that were arrived early. And so when our bus pulled in, they were like banging on the windows. And basically, if I remember correctly, and my mind could you know mess this up a little bit, but they made us come off the bus, like they shined lights in our eyes and basically said, our room assignments are at the top of this hill. So it's dark out. We're like barely kind of waking up, some of us, um, from sleep on the way to this campground. And then we're told we have to basically sprint up this hill to go get our room assignments. Now, what was on this hill? Because I think you should just set it first that this is an extremely, extremely tall hill. We're having to sprint up it. Not all of us are most likely, or were really in tip-top shape. And then, like, oh, no. there, there are definitely people like some puffing oh, well, well. at the bottom. So, so Corey, what, what did you have on the side of the hill in well, kind of the woods? So it's a very wooded area, kind of yeah. a gravel hill, super yeah, steep. Probably 30 degree, 30 degree incline there. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it was, but... Um, we had people stationed, probably, uh, people stationed along the hill, and uh, we had smoke bombs going off along the way, and we were firing paintballs over your heads. Um, <laughs> probably not the safest thing we've ever done. So, so but for, it was a lot for of the fun. record, though, 
for the record, though, like with your favorite, like The Office character being Michael Scott, like that is such a Michael Scott thing to do. Like I'm gonna force all my employees to run up this giant hill to to get something, and as they're doing this, I'm gonna have fireworks and smoke bombs and paintballs flying over their heads. And you can almost imagine how everyone would have reacted in that moment. You would have had Dwight at the top, um, which, dude, that would have been 100% Andrew Grisham. And then you would have had... Like, Just dropping the name, man. Just dropping the name on the podcast. Dude, I love Andrew. I love Andrew, man. I know. You he, just threw uh, the name out. <laughs> he, uh, he would have gone all in on that. And then sure. you would have had someone else like Alex Richter, who would have been much more the Pam character, who probably would have like at the bottom of the bus so anyways uh, I just I just I, love how funny. out of the few people that we mentioned on this podcast Andrew Grisham and Alex Richter have already been mentioned on this podcast for, for real for, yeah oh yeah we told the story I about see, how I Andrew that much yeah exactly we, we, we told <laughs> the story how we me and Landon made Andrew and Alex um, go head-to-head chugging the, the two liters of coke laying down on the stage and Andrew just went after it and just hurled on the side but of the see, stage that, that that's what I love about Andrew is he like never did anything halfway, is like he was going all in or, or not at all, and so right. uh, which again makes him the epitome of of Dwight Schrute, whom as a character on The Office I I absolutely love. Uh, interestingly though, is I I think Andrew was one of the ones that was almost overcome by smoke inhalation from all of the smoke <laughs> bombs that we had going off. Well, it's because he was going so hard. Yeah, probably so. But like, uh, I had no idea that we had so many asthmatics in that youth group until uh, we <laughs> did that, and I almost killed them on the way back down. So, so here's the question that I have though: Is did you get any calls from upset parents because of that? Because I feel like today, if I did that and people got all choked up, like I would either have a lawsuit or would probably wind up in in an upper office wondering what in the world I was thinking. Dude, there were so many things that I did that probably I would have gotten fired for today. I mean, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like, no, I didn't get one call uh, because I think everybody loved it so much. You know, like it was or, just... Or was weird. it because you made, was a part of the liability forms a non-disclosure agreement? <laughs> it was not. Uh, but more, was more on that later. Form. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I had permission to, I mean, I didn't haze you, I don't feel like, but um, it was probably borderline. Um, because I did go in the next morning with a pot and pan and wake you up at like, I don't know, five o'clock and made you yeah. run out to the field and do calisthenics. So, you know, hey, the, yeah. the whole idea hey. was that this was basic training, but. Speaking of things that you probably couldn't say anymore as a youth pastor, what was that song that you used to sing to wake uh, us up? I can't even no. sing that now, dude. Oh, I probably think you can. should. Yeah, I think can. you should. Well, let's just, I'm, I'm not going to sing it right now, just, but just let's, just say, find let's it. just say it's a Ren and Stimpy song. Trent, weren't you the one that had a interesting, uh, something, was Corey singing that song and you were trying to get someone up and it wasn't Christian? Didn't that happen at, at Mission Chicago? Oh, I don't know. What was what happened? I'll have to ask you about that later. Yeah, I don't. I don't so remember. I was I was singing that song in someone's ear and it wasn't Christian. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't. I don't remember. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> hey. So today we're we're talking about a few different topics that um will get pretty interesting. I think. So why don't we just open it up by saying, hey, it's you know we're we're in the month of May now. It's been quite a few months since uh, the album that Kanye West dropped. Um, uh, where a lot of people had um, 
a lot of mixed reactions to, um, both in the creativity of the album and the content of the album. The content of the album being, um, you know, very heavily influenced by something that Kanye, you know, professed has happened in his life, namely conversion. So, um, you know, the song is filled with, um, you know, Christian lyrics, who God is, what Christ has done in his life, how we should worship God, everything is owed to God. Um, and then, of course, uh, not only did all of that happen, um, but he ended up going on Jimmy Kimmel, and Jimmy Kimmel said, so are you a Christian rapper now? And that famous line Kanye said was, well, I'm a Christian everything, which by all means is probably the greatest line ever to say in that moment. Um, so, you know, initially the reaction to all of this taking place and the, you know, the Kanye professing faith in Christ, a new album called a gospel album, his words, um, there was some reaction uh, from different Christian leaders, um, discernment bloggers to pastors to Christians who love contemporary Christian music and Christian rap. Um, you know, do you remember reading anything in particular that you can think of by anyone, either one of you, um, after this dropped, or kind of what were your initial reactions to everything going on? I mean, Corey, I'll let you jump in here in just a second, but uh, I mean, I, I remember feeling like I couldn't get away from reading something yeah. <laughs> about Kanye. It was like too much, and even just on Facebook groups, you know, you had those who who wanted to like lift this up and almost claim him in a way that's not really healthy and then you had those on the other side who wanted to discredit him or, or make him prove himself in a way that that wasn't healthy in the way that we believe you know the gospel saves and so um so yeah i think you had those two polarizing positions that were definitely the loudest and then you perhaps had a few in the middle who were more just like let's celebrate this and see what happens yeah, I, I think for me, whenever it first happened, I I for sure was a little skeptical um, because I just thought, well, man, is this a publicity stunt that he's doing uh, in order to, to gain more listeners, more followers? And, you know, I listened to his album and, you know, what I heard sounded pretty legit. It, you know, the, the interviews I heard that he did... Um, you know what he was saying was right and I, I probably became more hopeful that what had happened was true conversion in his life um realizing that this guy is you know a baby christian and all of this stuff and that things were going to be coming at him at a very rapid pace and uh, and hoping that he could survive that gauntlet so so what should our reaction be and, and i'm going to just start out by saying a few things um, I think Brock hit the nail on the head by saying there was so much content. I mean, every single person who had a blog who was a Christian was writing their opinion on this, right? And so, you know, we might be kind of jumping into the <clears throat> void of opinions here uh, just by talking about it. Um, but I think what, uh, you know, I saw very few things of were, hey, how, how should one even just respond to this, Right. Um, I think you saw people on both sides, Brock, as you said, you saw people that basically were saying, you know, he's the new, he's, he's going to be the new Billy Graham, you know, he's, this is like Apostle Paul, and then you had some basically saying, like, there's no way this guy could be saved, you know, that there, this is, this is a publicity stunt, um, and then you, you listen, as Corey, you said, the content of the music, and there was songs like, hey, people aren't going to believe this is real, pray for me, you know, he wasn't, at least lyrically, it didn't seem like he was shooting for fame and fortune 
you know, lyrically, there was a, 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 at least the words of humility included. So, you know, my thoughts initially kind of were, <clears throat> I read some of the discernment bloggers that were basically like, hey, we just, we can't say that he's a Christian. And immediately my mind's going to Luke 15, right? And, um, and, and I'm not saying this discernment blogger was a scribe or a Pharisee per se in this scenario, but in Luke chapter 15, you know, you have the three parables, the parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost son, or the parable of the prodigal son, right? And all three um, uh, are set up by the first two verses that basically talk about the um, Pharisees and the scribes grumbling at the people that Jesus was receiving, meaning receiving like family members, um, those who were former rebellious, now repentant, and made righteous by God. And so the scribes and the Pharisees looking are looking at these tax collectors and sinners that are being received by Jesus and they're grumbling, they're angry, why would Jesus welcome them? And so Jesus sets up these different stories that all have the same ending except the last one. The ending is, what was lost is found and we should rejoice. There's much rejoicing in heaven, there should be rejoicing on earth. The last parable basically says, you know, um, there's a celebration, a feast made for the prodigal son who came home and was welcomed by the father and yet the older son, who had been working for the father, didn't want to join into the party because of the fact the father welcomed the brother who he thought didn't deserve it, right? And so um, the whole story being that um, what was lost is now found and there should be rejoicing on earth as there is in heaven because God can redeem the most rebellious person, right, and change their life. And we should celebrate salvation, right? So my initial thought was I don't want to be the Pharisee or the scribe here. I don't want to be gullible, um, so I don't, but I don't want to be the Pharisee or the scribe. On the opposite end, um, However, so I don't want to be the Pharisee scribe. On the opposite end, however, um, I also don't want us to think that we need or rely as as the church on someone popular to propagate the gospel, right? Um, like we don't want to find our identity in Kanye West. Oh, now we have a, a, a hero to identify with that can take our faith farther than it's been gone before. You know, imagine what Kanye could do for this. And I'm not saying that that God couldn't use Kanye for extravagant things, but God's not reliant on someone in a political, powerful, or prestigious position, right? I mean, we see in the Gospel of Luke, um, John the Baptist introduced right after um, Luke introduces the height of the Roman Empire, Caesar and uh, uh, and Herod and all those people, and then the height of religious piety, and then it just basically says, and the word of God went to John, right? He was this locust-eating you know, guy in the wilderness. And that's where the word of God went. And that's who God chose to carry out the gospel message. So those were kind of the two polar um, uh, or two sides of what I was thinking in my mind. Any thoughts toward that or any thoughts that you guys had? Well, I think one of the, the difficulties that a lot of people approach this with is is they're thinking more in the lines of Jesus preaching on the different types of soil so you can see fruit for a while but then it doesn't last because either the love of the world or the difficulty of following Jesus you know chokes it out chokes the 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 seed out and then you've got Paul warning about those who are preaching the gospel for selfish motives which I know we've talked and, and there have been some who have put that um, accusation forward because of the the extreme success specifically in, in money that Kanye has gotten since then. And, and then you also have those who, um, you know, were warned about that will be false teachers who, who preach just for the sake of building up their own name. And so, so I think you have a lot of people looking at Kanye sit, seeing those possibilities, but, but man, kind of like you were saying with, 
not wanting to be the scribe or the Pharisee, like what does it say about us if our first gut reaction is that faith is not genuine um, because of, of their past? And what does that say about what we really think about our own sinfulness? Uh, you know, that, that our, our faith is, is believable, but because of their past, somehow theirs isn't as if the grace of Jesus isn't enough to, to build that and, uh, um, and overcome that. And so I think you have a lot of people looking at, at Kanye in that way. And so I would hope we would respond to Kanye's profession of faith, his conversion, um, the same way we would any person, um, that we would be hopeful and watchful, um, that we would be hopeful that it's genuine but watchful to, to, to you know, allow him. And, and the, here's the difficulty, though, is those who should be most watchful are those who are in his camp and, and hopefully in his church. Um, right. those, those pastors and brothers and sisters who are walking alongside him, those should be the ones who are most watchful, calling out things that are inconsistent with God's word. Because if he's a new believer, like he's going to mess up. Those pedestals that people are, are placing him on, like he will fall from them. If we set him up to that standard, like there is no way that he will be able. I, man, I look back on my Facebook like time hop or timeline like that, that shows me things I posted in the past. And I was like, goodness sakes, I'm glad my you know, eighth year in Christianity wasn't publicized on a world scale, much less yeah. my my first year when I first became a believer. And so um, I, I think it's better for us to be hopeful and allow others to be watchful, but it does add an element of difficulty because of the public scale that, that he is on. Yeah, I would agree with that because you know, one thing we have to consider as pastors in the church is that our people are watching and they're looking at this individual. And, you know, there's there's some level at which you are forced to address things like this just for um, discernment purposes in, in the life of your church. Um, because there is such a tendency um, for syncretism. And so... You know, it would be it would be real easy for a, a celebrity, whether it's Kanye or anybody else, for people to jump on that bandwagon and begin to look to that person for advice and and um, and direction, and then be influenced in a negative way toward cultural Christianity or whatever. And so, um, you know, I, I think there I think there does have to be some discernment exercised on our part to just make sure that. Um, we're not judging his salvation, but definitely looking towards the fruit in his life to make sure that that's genuine and not um, something that's going to lead people astray. And one of the things that I think caused me the most concern amongst all of this was, was yes, we want to celebrate him, but then I saw where within that first year, it might have even been within the first few months, like they had him headlining like a Christian youth conference. And so that's the type of like propulsion to leadership for a new believer on a large platform that I'm not sure is 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 beneficial. So obviously he's a, he's an artist. He's going to keep doing concerts. But the moment you put yourself on a Christian uh, stage on that that poster on that flyer, I get that it's not a church, but you're taking a level of of responsibility that's greater than just putting on your own show. And so I think propul like. Putting him up to, to that level so soon wasn't the most wise um, because it's not 
giving him the time to work out his own faith. Like in as much as it's not good for those who are looking up to him, it's not good for him either because we see warnings in Scripture, at least on the pastoral level, that those who who lead as pastors shouldn't be a a new believer. And so I think there's a principle that applies here that we should be careful not putting someone in in prominent leadership positions, even if it is leading from a stage at a Christian youth conference because, as Corey said, so many people are going to be looking to him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you even look at the Apostle Paul, I mean, yeah, he immediately started preaching the gospel, but then he went away for a period. Right. And and what was it, two years or something, and before Barnabas went and got him and he came back and they instructed the church at Antioch. And so, like, there has to be some preparation for leadership. Um, it would be unwise for anybody to jump into that position because you're going to be so susceptible to the enemy. So hopeful, prayerful, watchful, and, and just not making the mistake of a uh, of, of trying to go for his platform. There's one more thing that I was you know just kind of adding earlier was that misplaced reliance, right? I know that a lot of people, at least in in student ministry where I serve, you know, um, I see a lot of people like you know watching. YouTube families, YouTube influencers, Instagram influencers that are Christians and really put a lot of stock into their relationship with the Lord, right? Put put a lot of weight in um, an individual who has uh, influence and and really kind of try to identify with that in, in individual. And and oftentimes I'll hear statements like, "Well, imagine if God could, you know, convert." Katy Perry. Imagine if God could convert Kanye West. Imagine if God could do this. You can just, you know, imagine what God could do if that, if Kanye became a believer. And I just want to remind us that God's plans are carried out not because of the power of men, but because of the power of God, often through weak men, so that he's shown as powerful, right? His purposes will come to pass, not because we're powerful, but because he is. His purposes don't come to pass because of the people he uses, but because of the person he is. And he wants to visibly show that truth, right? That his plan does not depend on man's power, popularity, or prestige, but on his, right? And so, yeah, like prayerfully, Kanye is truly trusted in Christ, and prayerfully, his platform will be one to bring the, you know, to, uh, to bring glory to the name of God. Um, but, you know, God, God won't con- convert Kanye because God's dependent on Kanye. Um, God will convert Kanye as he converts all of us by grace, through faith, so that he is made, glor- you know, so that he is glorified. Yeah, and I don't know if this is relevant or not to this conversation, but I think we just have a tendency to do that in the church um, in general. Not, not if it's just a great celebrity outside in the culture, um, but I think even inside the church, we can have a tendency to look to quote-unquote famous Christians, famous pastors, whatever, um, and and if we're not careful, we can we can even create that um, that looking outside of the scripture to the individual. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it really has nothing to do with the with the mouthpiece. It has everything to do with the word and how God is is faithful to His word. And so, uh, I think we have to be careful of of, of creating that um, star mentality or you know, this fame of individual pastors as well. Not that there aren't yeah, people that, that preach really well and are, are well-respected, but just, you know, it's not the person. Yeah. I like that old student ministry mindset of uh, you just need to go and, and save the quarterback 
on the football team and, and get him to believe in Jesus. So then he can, you have that person of influence in the high school. It's like, man, how, not that he doesn't need Jesus, but when, when Jesus was on the earth, he wasn't going to the, the scribes, Pharisees necessarily. Now, luckily some of them came to him, but uh, he was going to those who, who, man, you go to high school or, or wherever, no one's looking to them for influence or leadership at all. Um, and those are the ones who God saves and, and who God uses. Uh, but uh, one final thought on, um, on on Kanye was, can we also just point out that at least, and Trent mentioned one of his interviews, that there at least seems to be a pretty drastic change in his character. Um, I mean, this is a guy who, who you know, calls himself Jesus and and is and not that he doesn't still have some character issues to work out thinking that he's you know or, or asserting that he's the best artist of all time which is is arguable one way or another but even just from his interviews from the music it does seems to 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 show that there is a a demonstrable change in his character which again makes me hopeful yeah um considering music another topic i discussion that I want to talk on, unless there's, there's anything else you guys wanted to mention about Kanye, um, was just CCM. So CCM, short short for Contemporary Christian Music. Um, so it uh, sounds like we're all, at least in some sense, listening a little bit to Kanye. Um, I'm sure all of us have been influenced by music over the years, and some of the music we've been influenced by is Contemporary Christian Music, right? In the church, out of the church, in CDs growing up, um, you know, uh, Corey, I don't know what you had growing up, but Brock and I mostly had CDs. Real to real. Uh, there you go, right? <laughs> um, so what were what were some of your favorite artists growing up? You know, um, and we'll just say in the CCM camp. Oh man, whenever I was growing up, like CCM was just getting on the map, and so like I'd go to I go to youth camp in the '80s, and you'd have like guys that you probably haven't even heard of, like DeGarmo and Key, and um, like Mylon Lefevre and just like it was just this most terrible version of music <laughs> just because you know they were they were trying to imitate pop music and put Christian lyrics to it and so it, it was just you know this copy but was not even close to the same level of excellence in what they did and so I mean, it was nice because, like, you didn't have to listen to other things, but that was still the era of, you know, if you listen to rock and roll, then, you know, the devil's going to own your soul kind of thing. And so, play the, rec- like, play the record backwards, and there was a message from Satan. Yeah, like, literally, <laughs> I went to a youth camp one time that that's like the whole theme was about the evils of rock and roll music. And so. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it wasn't gospel oriented at all. It was just don't do this. And so, um, you know, growing up, it was very sparse on any quality Christian music at all. Like today, there is such uh, we we are blessed with a lot of people that I believe uh, look to the Lord and write biblical lyrics and all of those things. But back then, it was not so much. So, if I was to throw out a few Christian artists that were I know before my time. Could you could you give me a yes or no whether you listened to them growing up or in youth group or maybe yeah as a young I'll probably youth be embarrassed by some of those answers but yeah well I, I'm just gonna throw out some names that I know were before me but I don't even know what era they were so like Cademan's Call oh yeah I love those actually my you know one of my okay. sons is named Cademan so there you okay go. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, okay so uh, Brock you might need to help me out this Natalie Grant 
Well, she what, she she was Amy Grant. Amy Grant. Amy Grant. There's Amy Grant and Natalie Grant. Okay. Are they are they sisters? No. I'm pretty sure it's a mom Just daughter. Just Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't. I don't even think they're. I don't, I don't even know if they're related or not. I couldn't tell you. I, I just know the names. I, I probably couldn't name a song they sang. So, um, was that during your time? During mine? Sonic, Sonic Flood? Yeah, I'm just trying to think of some names. Yeah, Sonic Flood was, um, they were popular, but kind of like uh, Audio Adrenaline, where, I mean, they were fun to listen to. I'm just not sure that there was any substance there. Okay, gotcha. So, Brock, as we were in you know, youth group, what were some contemporary Christian music artists that we listened to? And you might need to help me out with this because I, you know, you're a little oh, bit more yeah. musically inclined than I am. I don't know about that, but, um, so, I mean, I think we were both really into Reliant K. They weren't necessarily CCM specific, but they were on Goatee Records with Toby Mac. Dude, they were uh, edgy. Just another and, that, one. and that was, that was cool, right? Yeah. Well, and it wasn't even that they were edgy. It was just, there wasn't really anyone doing punk or any type of like punk pop sure. or alternative rock. Um, and so you had them who, and, and it's interesting. So they're, they're obviously, um, you'll, y'all know they're one of my favorite bands. And so it's interesting to track kind of lyrically their music of where they started versus where they are now. They're very much kind of one of those who has broadened their audience from a, a, you know, a, a very close knit Christian audience to more of a broader, uh, broader reach. But you had Switchfoot, um, Toby Mac, uh, man, Newsboys, back a little bit before us, DC Talk. Um, you could throw it to uh, Flyleaf, if you remember Flyleaf. Oh, yeah. Uh, Super Chick, Barlow Girl, Skillet, um, Red. Oh, man. Uh, in that whole realm, yeah, Red. Thousand Foot Crutch. Hawk Nelson, right? Hawk Nelson. And uh, who yeah, was the Hawk other Nelson. very much likes Hawk Nelson? Uh, yeah, Stellar Cart? Stellar Cart, that's right, yeah. And then um, in the worship game, we sang a lot of David Crowder. Um, but it was David Crowder band. David Crowder. Yep. Um, the Hillsong was uh, popular and, of course, has been popular for a long time. Yeah, probably um, got more popular. Passion was kind of on the horizon, like starting to peak kind of at the end yep. of our high school days. Yeah, it was Charlie like Christian Hall. Stanfield was basically being introduced. Charlie Hall was still yeah. very much a part of Passion. Um, and, and Whatever happened to that guy? I Who? don't know, man. Charlie, Charlie Hall. Hall. He just kind of went off the map. Yeah, I don't think he's riding He's probably anymore. still trying to grow maybe, his beard super long. Yeah, he might still be writing. Maybe he's maybe he's writing for some different artists. But yeah, I haven't seen him put an album out or anything. Okay, so as we're talking about this, have your maybe your taste toward worship music has it changed? Uh, you know, are, are there certain in, certain um, artists you guys really like right now? The artists you like are they the ones that you sing on Sunday mornings? So I so it's interesting. I think uh, so. Streaming services. I think streaming services have taken away a lot of, at least to an extent, um, artist loyalty. I think you have a lot more listening to singles now um, than than entire albums. And so I bet a lot of people, especially when it comes to worship music, um, I bet there's a lot of people who listen to individual songs more than they do entire albums, or they listen to an individual, individual song without even maybe knowing the artist or the original artist. So let's be honest, there's a bunch of stuff that we sing because Shane and Shane maybe does it that we have no idea who originally sang it, but it's on Shane and Shane's album, so it must be good because they do all those covers. Um, and so uh, I do enjoy Shane and Shane. I really like Phil Wickham, um, but again, I probably know more of his kind of top singles than I do uh, his his entire albums or catalog of songs. 
uh, he's, I think, probably one of the best voices in Christian music right now. Um, but then I've also kind of developed um, a, a better sense and, and taste for um, some both older hymns and then also some newer hymns that are being written and just more simple congregational singing. And maybe that's the, the vein that the three of us kind of run in, but we all love the Together for the Gospel Conference where there's just this emphasis on hearing voices and singing. And, and so that, um, Trent, I won't, I won't steal some of the ones that you've introduced me to lately. I'll let you bring those up. But I really do like some of the new hymns that are being written as well as some uh, you know, reintroductions of the old as well. Yeah so, yeah, so who are some of the artists both you, Corey, and Brock listen to right now? And and I don't care if it if I introduce you to him or not. You you can you can riff on that. I appreciate that. But you don't you can riff on so me Chris Renzima. Um, yeah. So just Sovereign Grace up. music. Yeah. Um, Sovereign Grace. Bob Coughlin. Um, Matt Papa and Matt Boswell just came out with an awesome album of new hymns called His Mercy Is More, which is probably one of my favorite songs that's been written lately. City of Light. Um, yep. City of Light. That was the one that I was thinking that you had introduced me to. Um, we do listen to. And so, so are we just, we're just on worship right now, right? Sure. Yeah. So Corey, throw in there some that you, you know, you listen to. Well, I mean, you've pretty much mentioned all the ones that I listen to. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, like there's a, there's not too many outside of that, that I do listen to as far as like pop Christian music. Like I'm, you know, I, I I'm, whenever I listen to songs, I'm listening very much to the lyrics uh, and not just the style. And so, like, I'll listen to, to other kind of music whenever I'm doing other things, uh, you know, like working out or stuff. I'll, I'll listen to even, like, Andy Minio and those kind of things. But as far as worship goes, that Sovereign Grace, Matt Merker, um, those kind of guys are, are the ones that, that I'm listening to. So let me ask you guys this question. Um, so we're mentioning artists that, you know, in our tribe, people would love hearing that. Oh, you guys love, you know, good, solid, rich, theological music. Um, but um, it seems like these artists that we're mentioning probably aren't um, sung in the majority of churches right now. Um, I mean, they're definitely in our tribe. They might they might be sung, um, uh, you know, or we, or we find ourselves theologically. Um, but you know, I think probably the the top three and kind of debate this with me if you if you ha- if you have a different opinion, but um, are right now elevation worship. Um, Hillsong and Bethel. Those are kind of the top three you see most often, right? At least most often on the radio. Um, aside from other artists, I mean, you might have Tori Kelly, you might have Tarn Wells, you might have some of those people uh, as well um, that are good and creative, you know, artists. Um, but those are the kind of the three worship bands that are tied to churches that you really see everywhere right now. Um, you know, anybody want to just kind of open up a conversation about, hey, do you guys sing those songs? What are your thoughts on those artists? Um, any opinions on, um, you know, whether you listen to, you know, maybe you have one of those, like Hillsong has a song, uh, Oh, Praise Him, Anastasis, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite worship songs. Like, it's phenomenal. Um, and then, uh, of course, everybody sang for a time, Elevations, uh, take, uh, what's the song? Oh, Come to the Altar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like over time there's been some curiosity toward the churches that those bands come from specifically like Bethel, for example, where um, there's some teachings that, I mean, at least we would say that are not only interesting, but somewhat extra-biblical and in some teachings unbiblical. So how do we, 
what do you guys think through listening to singing? You know, how have your church, you know, churches that you serve even worked through some of that? You know, I don't well, want to open up a can of worms here, but I kind of am. Um, so, any well, thoughts? Let me jump in on that. Um, I on this, I think it's important um, for us to train people and to to be discerning in what they listen to. And, and what I mean by that is there can be some people that will just say, no, I'm never singing one of those songs because it will lead people to go and follow certain teaching. Um, and so if we do that, I think we can become legalists pretty easily. Um, and so so you, you might remember whenever um, y'all were in my youth group, like we would practice uh, discernment whereas I would even play a pop song in there and say all right what's the message of this song and then what does scripture say about it and tried to give you a framework for evaluating what's going into your mind in your heart yeah I remember, I remember you playing a Bruno Mars song yeah uh, and so that, yeah like, and I'm not going to do that in our corporate worship service, but I do think that, that through our teaching, we have to give that framework and understanding that, that um, words are important and because they convey meaning. Because music notes and um, are, are neutral. You know, like you can play an instrumental song um, and it can it doesn't carry the meaning that it does if you put words to it. And sure. so, so like that song you mentioned, uh, Oh, praise the name. Like we sing that song in worship all the time, um, because it, it has a great meaning, uh, and, and focuses people, uh, on God's greatness and, and Christ and, and all those things. And so I think in worship, you have to have things that are focused on the glory of God and are Christ centered. Um, and, and, and be able to give people a, a way to discern that because they have the spirit of God in them. Right. And so, uh, we need to help them, um, rely on him, um, to show them what is, uh, lines up with scripture and what does not. And so I think being discerning in music has to start with giving people a healthy dose of the word so that they have a standard by which to judge that music um, uh, of what they're listening to and what they're singing. Yeah, so part of discipling an individual church member is giving them good doctrine that leads to proper discernment, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and not only proper discernment as, as in how do I exegete this text, but should I listen to this? Um, and uh, while we don't want to bind the conscience of individuals, we certainly want their conscience to line up with the context and content of Scripture, right? Um, and do our best as pastors, aka um, those that have been assigned the task of caring for individuals, primarily by teaching proper doctrine, doctrinal um, uh, guardians, if you will, uh, of the church, right? So that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth, carrying out the teaching of the apostles for years to come. So, you know, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, too, uh, one thing that a fellow pastor um, here in town, I'll sh give him a shout-out, Randy Scott, um, he said something to me probably three, three, four years ago that has stuck with me, is, and I may have even said it on here before, that the doxology of one generation will be the theology of the next. 
and just how important music is in teaching us right doctrine and you know there may there may be one or two people that will remember our sermons down the road but they're going to remember the songs that we sing in church and they're going to come yeah. back to mind and so i think you know this is maybe one of the most important things we do in church is talk about music yeah so, and and i even think you know Trent, you mentioned a minute ago, Corey, you did as well, the the idea of Oh, Praise the Name, um, which is a fantastic song. Um, you know, and Hillsong has come out with, with some great ones that we may or may not realize are, are there. So I think of that one. I think of um, the Man of Sorrows that came out. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure Forever Rain, which made it on a Passions album, I think in 2012, 2011, 2012, was originally Hillsong's, I believe. And even because of some controversy it got, which I, I don't know that it was due, the um, the evolution lyric of uh, So Will I, man, that song is beautiful. Um, and, and I think, in my opinion, it's sound. Uh, again, maybe they took some liberty with that line. When our church sings it, uh, we actually alter that a little bit just for clarity's sake. Um, we feel like we have liberty to do that because we're still giving credit to them and, and the CCLI and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I, and I only say that to, to point out, I saw some, some guys talking about this topic online. I was listening to kind of their interview of, of why they don't play Bethel, don't play Hillsong. And, and I think we need to be careful even though they kind of endorse one another, I don't know that Hillsong is at the place that Bethel is. Um, I'm much more comfortable playing some stuff out of Hillsong than I am out of Bethel, just as far as if we play it, it gives them some type of endorsement or like uh, being recognizable. But, uh, but man, they, they quoted one of Hillsong songs that, that was not a very good one, which for the record, saying Hillsong song is really hard. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, they, they quoted one of Hillsong's song. One of exactly one of Hillsong's tracks, we'll put it that way. And of course, they pick one that's just empty and silly and bad. And everybody writes bad songs. Can we all agree that back in the day, singing every move I make every Wednesday night for youth group? Not that we did that with you, Corey, but like it was a bit much. Um, enough it was of the a bit much until you until you added the hand motions, and then it just exactly know, added a new element to it. Or every, I could sing every, of your love forever. Every and all and of the nanas. Yeah, Tra trading so, my sorrows. Hey, let's let's just keep naming songs like that so Brock can't talk. <laughs> Anyways, all I'm saying is like I think we need to be charitable in recognizing when good songs are written, trying to take those songs on their merit, but it's not without um, needing to discuss, you know, if we play this, how do we like lead our people to know what's worth endorsing so like if we use a hillsong track are we endorsing hillsong college if we use bethel track are we um, endorsing you know bethel's church or their school of ministry which i would highly recommend against based off some things that we all talked about and seen and there was specifically a, a a deal released on facebook by someone who had either quote unquote defected from there or gotten expelled and if if what she is saying about what she experienced is true and the pictures and things she shared like there's just some some crazy stuff going on there. Um, but again, that goes back to what y'all mentioned as far as bringing in discernment and teaching our people how to, uh, you know, wade through those, those difficult things themselves. But um, I do think we need to think about as well, um, whenever we play those songs, we are in some way or form paying them through copyright licensures 
and that is a big way of, of how these places have gotten so big is through payments and royalties from their music. Yeah, I think I think all of this is part of this conversation. The the royalties, I think, um, you know, who who are they in, endorsing? And um, and I want I want to be careful too. Or I know I'm sure we even land different places on the spectrum of should you play them at all? What should you play? How should you play? When should you play? You know, um, is it song by song? Is it do you cut out the artists all together so you don't pay them CCLI wise? Um, but but I think there needs to be a little bit of room, and I'm careful to say that, but a little bit of room to wrestle with this topic amongst people mm-hmm. who are seriously wrestling with the topic not just we'll do what we want to do because it's popular and we want people to come to our church because they've heard it on the radio but we'll seriously wrestle with this because one thing we do know is that god cares how he is worshiped right you've got multiple passages throughout mm-hmm. the scriptures um and that, that speak to the leadership um leading people to worship god rightly um with both um their their heart um so emotion, but also with the way in which God instructs them to be worshipped. For example, you got Malachi, and God has a strict word to the priests who have allowed people to sacrifice wrongly. They're still sacrificing. The priests could say all day, well, they're still sacrificing, but they were sacrificing wrongly. And God basically says that the excrement from the sacrifices I will put upon your face. That which you take out of the camp because it was unclean will be clear upon your face so that people will see that you are leading people wrongly. And, and I will judge you for that. So I think there should be room for us to, um, to wrestle with this so long as we are serious in the task that we are trying to, as best we can, lead our people to love, serve, obey the Lord, right? And a part of that wrestling, I think, does come in the conversation of, um, hey, where do we draw the line? Um, you know, if Bethel is leading people to do things that are unbiblical and they're teaching um, what some might say is heresy, do we draw a line that says, okay, we're not going to sing Bethel? If Hillsong is endorsing um, and bringing in Joseph Prince and is doing things with Benny Hinn, do we draw the line completely as to not open the door there? Or is there, as some of, you know, as you guys said, there's, as, do we sing some of the really good songs? Hey, if all their songs, and this is a generaliz- generalization, right, seem to kind of play upon the romanticism uh, of Christianity and then the fact that God is for you and God will do this for you and God is with you, but yet leave out the substitutionary atonement of the Son to satisfy the wrath of the Father, leave out repentance and these kinds of things. Um, do we need to make sure we're still singing those gospel truths um, and, and not just appeal to you know, what they hear on the radio so that they can sing them together, but rather make sure we lead our people to really gospel-rich songs. So these are, these are conversations I think are worth having, right? Um, and, and a part of this conversation, and I don't mean to keep going on, um, you know, someone might be very strict as to say, hey, we're not going to sing any of those Bethel songs. You know, you have someone in your church that's like, hey, we are strictly not going to sing any Bethel songs. Well, my mind eventually, you know, goes to, well, what about Martin Luther? You know, we sing proudly a mighty fortress as our God, written by Martin Luther, who we're thankful for, who did amazing things to get the, uh, the gospel, the Bible, into the hands of the common man, and yet who is extremely anti-Semitic, um, and who said, had pretty vulgar language, right? Um, so you have that on one hand. On the other hand, you have um, Arius, um, who taught Arianism at the very beginning of the early church, who influenced so many people by his music. He was a songwriter. So all this said, I think there needs to be a level of, um, a high level of discernment that we encourage in how we disciple our people, but also 
seriousness toward the task of what we sing when we gather? Well, and you know, like we all come from churches who very much believe in the autonomy of the local church too. And so like, we're not going to be submitting to some governing board that says you can do this or you can't do that. Um, and so you're right, but we do have to be very careful in, in what we put on other people or project onto other people. But we have to be very careful as well in our own local churches that we are putting putting music out there that is glorifying to God. Um, that our worship, our current worship leader, uh, his dad used to say that a lot of songs can be classified as sexio sacred uh, because they could be they could be saying to your girlfriend or to God, either one. And uh, you know that that's what I'm talking about whenever I say that some songs have no substance. Is that you know they don't talk about the character of God, they don't talk about the mighty works of God. Um, they literally could be sung about anything. And so, you know, I think, I think we have a responsibility to be specific uh, in what we sing um, so that no one has a doubt whenever they leave that building that day that, that, that Christ was magnified, that the name of God was lifted up. Um, and, I, and I think their souls will feel that. I think there are some songs that we sing in church that by the response of the congregation, you will know um, how they they feel about that song, and I'm not so, I'm not talking about just an emotional response. I'm talking about the passion in which they sing the truth of God. Um, one song in particular, either like Revelation song or to Christ alone. Like I think any time our congregation sings either one of those songs, there is a difference in the spirit in which they sing. So, so let's conclude this because I think we need to kind of come to an ending point of the, the podcast, you know, and ask maybe a few more questions before we're done. But just in conclusion of this conversation, you know, I'm going to throw out some bullet points. Maybe you guys add to it. You know, as we consider what we sing, it's important to make sure that the glory of God is um, our, our goal, right? That we're examining the, each song itself uh, to make sure it's both scripturally correct and um, scripturally accurate and God-glorifying, gospel-centered, um, that it doesn't have any inadequacies or, um, or even heresies in it. Uh, you know, how, how would you add, maybe, maybe you'd add a bullet point of examining songs to make sure they're congregational. They don't just appeal to the crowd. They um, encourage the congregation in singing. You know, is there anything else you would add to those, to a, a few more bullet points, just as a, hey, this is what we should do? I think we should just play Kanye West's album, on our church at church on Sunday, I think we just bring it full circle. Closed on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, I've I've been a part of a church that man, they would sing as an opening song, um, uh, you know, a Katy Perry song because people knew the song and yeah, it would stop get that. the people Don't going. And obviously, we're not we're we're not going to go there, right? We're going to go so far as to say, hey, examine every song that you sing to make sure it's God glorifying. People people have Katy Perry all the rest of the week. When we gather together, let's give them Christ. Listen, it's bad enough that we have to deal with Katy Perry on American Idol. Don't bring her into the church. <laughs> For real. Well, let's, let's be careful. Unless you're we, we want her to, want her to come. Yeah, we, we want her to we, come. We do to the want church. her to come to church. Okay, but oh man, there's there's another topic I wanted to talk about, but we don't have time. Hey, well, you're another on our day, podcast, so, so we get to we get to choose the topics, right? I'm just kidding. Uh, hey, what, what's your guys' favorite worship song, real quick? Right now, it's "His Mercy Is More" by Matt Papa and Matt Boswell. It's good. 
Man, I don't know. That's a tough one. I would say probably he will hold me fast, especially in this time that we're in. Yeah, we just sang that Sunday. My favorite, um, and you guys know this because it was sung at my wedding. Corey, you officiated my wedding. Brock, you're my best man. Um, yeah, you cried like a baby. Old. I cried like a baby, man. Thanks for all the memes you put in my face as my wife is walking down the aisle. Um, <laughs> that, that was a great accomplishment of mine. Thank you for bringing that. <laughs> so how deep the Father's love for us. Uh, I love you guys, the songs you mentioned, but they don't top that song for me. That song is just so good. And I don't care who sings it. The lyrics are just so good. Oh, I promise you, you care who sings it. I, I, I'm sure we've all some heard those. That. We've all we've all heard, heard those Sunday specials that were so special that Oof. they that they uh, they might have been special enough to have kept private. What's the what? old Tim Hawkins joke where it said, you know, I heard that the Lord wanted me to sing uh, the song. You know, no, it's it's, like, I don't uh, think that was the Lord. No, it's something like God gave me this song to sing, and He said, "Well, God wants you to give it back." <laughs> yeah. Hey, what if Andy Dwyer sang that song? Would it be the same for you? Oh, Johnny, man. The, Johnny Karate the, the, style. The, oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> no, it would that not. Might, that might get into like blasphemous territory. Yeah. I yeah. Might, <laughs> might ought to be careful. Yeah, it probably would. Hey, hey, a couple more questions real quick before we close. Um, so I asked you your favorite worship song. What are you guys watching right now? Watching right now? Yeah, series on Netflix if you've had some time to watch a little um, movie show. We are finishing up, uh, so in my house, Megan and I, Megan's my wife, we're finishing up uh, the Avengers movies. So we've gotten all the way through Endgame, so we just have the last Spider-Man movie to finish out Phase 3 of Marvel. And then we have been watching two shows on NBC, so in the, the idea of music. Um, I really like The Voice. It's probably one of my favorite music competition shows. And then we've also been watching NBC Songland, which kind of gives you a picture into the songwriting process where these um, songwriters get to bring in a song to an artist. So like the other night, three, four different songwriters brought a song to Lady Antebellum and get to pitch this to them and, and they work with it. And so it's just a really neat, neat show. I was so terrified you were going to say The Masked Singer. Oh, just, dude, I can't. I tried. I dude, can't do I it. cannot watch that show. It's so it's boring. It's the worst. And so dumb. Dude, people love it. And and the crazy thing to me is they always give like these audience shots where it's like so, oh, I love his outfit. Oh, my goodness. I didn't see that coming. And it's like, what? It, it's really of course you cool. didn't see it coming. He's got a mask on. Right. Yeah. It's you can't like, see anything. Are I you feel really like this it's a Comic-Con version of music. Yeah, it's weird, man. It's just weird. Yeah, I'm so I'm, glad I'm you guys said fan. that. Thank you. I'm not Thank a fan. <laughs> but what's interesting about a show like The Voice, so I, I was talking to you, Trent, about this. You know, with this idea of music, so often Christian music gets labeled as being cheesy. And again, I think the implications of this are a conversation for another day. But you look at three out of the four judges on The Voice, um, they three out of the four got their start in music singing at church. Some mm. of the best contestants on The, the Voice so far um, got their, their start playing in church. And so we have so many like artists in the secular world that either are still Christians or claim to be at one point or got their start doing music in the church that are some of the world's best musicians. Some of the world's best music has come from the church. Yet when we look at CCM, there has been a lot, not all, but a lot of music that's so cheesy. I think that would be an interesting conversation to riff on. Yeah, it would. All right. So I'm going to throw out what I'm watching. Um, we, just, uh, we just finished up uh, All American uh, on Netflix. And, um, I don't, I mean, it was good, I guess. And um, <laughs> we watched it and, um, but you know, 
we I don't know that we watch a whole lot. Of, I watch probably four episodes of Parks and Rec a day. You know, like I go home at lunchtime and I'll watch that or I'll go home at night. John Piper would not be proud of you. I'm sure he wouldn't. But like, I don't know. Like, it's just one of those things where I can just disengage from the world and relax. Wait, wait you got you guys have TVs in your homes? Yeah, I know. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Come on. Um, anyway, uh, that's that's where I'm at. Um, we've been watching uh, Waco. Have you guys heard about Waco? Yeah. Yeah, so Netflix has it now. Uh, it's a show in 2018 that came out covering David Koresh and the Branch Davidians and the standoff with the FBI and the ATF when they raided um, the, the campground in Waco. Um, man, it's interesting. I, of course, was, I think that was back in the early 90s, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, I would have, like, just been a baby. Um, but it is interesting to see basically a tank be brought to the Branch Davidians and and them be shot at when they didn't get when they didn't shoot. You know what I'm saying? Like it 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 was certainly while they were doing a lot of things wrong and leading people certainly astray, um, it's it's an interesting story for how the government responded. Corey, why don't you bring us home? All right. Well first of all I just want to say thanks Brock for being a part of this and hopefully you'll be back on with this a lot. Yeah guys. Um, thanks for having me on. But um so just in the just in the vein of music, you know, we always end this thing with a question and uh, again we want you to go give us a five star review on uh, Google Play or the Apple Podcast store. And um we want you to answer answer this question. Uh if you were on the Titanic, what song would you want the band to be playing as you went down? <laughs> it's a little morbid, I know. But um, but have some fun with it. Don't make it quite so serious. And uh, just ice, what song? Ice Baby. Ice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that is perfect. Perfect.